Good evening, everybody. Hello. Great to see you here tonight. It's good to get stuck into God's Word once again tonight. Great to be able to worship God together. Um, Tonight, we're doing the second in a three-part series on Jesus teaches us how to pray, taken from Matthew chapter 6. Tonight, the verses we're looking at is verses 9 and 10. And I can say that about a month ago when Jonathan asked me to preach tonight, and he gave me two verses to preach on, my first thought was, How in the world am I going to come up with enough things to say out of two verses? Only two verses. I I might be a bit stuck here. This is going to be hard. But as I read through them and as I thought about them and read some commentaries and things like that, it's just amazing to see how packed these two verses are with really huge concepts which are really powerful and really relevant to our lives. So hopefully God will really speak to you tonight. Um, As I speak, feel free just to look at God's Word as much as you can and really allow Him to speak directly to you as we um, go through this stuff. So, so the Lord's Prayer, um, reading from Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. What we'll do is we might read through the whole of the Lord's Prayer. Um, We're doing that tonight and then someone's following on next week and then we'll just look at the first half of it tonight. So we read, Jesus says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So that's the whole of the Lord's Prayer, but tonight we're looking at those first few key concepts. This is how we should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So as we talked about last Sunday night, prayer is a really important, vital part of our relationship with God, especially because prayer is the means by which we communicate with God. And we remember that being in a relationship with God is all about communicating and trying to grow in that. In the passage, the verses we looked at last week, which is just at the start of Matthew chapter 6 there, Jesus tells us to not show off Don't be actors, don't be hypocrites when we pray. You won't fool anyone. But he says, when you pray, pray sincerely. Have faith in God and trust in God and know that your Father knows what you need even before you ask Him. And that is such a profound way to finish last week's talk, that God knows what we need even before we ask Him. So that's where we left off and we come to this very famous prayer tonight, which is often called the Lord's Prayer. It's a prayer which a lot of people could actually say straight off the top of their head. They could just rattle it off because in a lot of churches you actually read through this, pray it together um, virtually in every service. So in this prayer, we see there are six requests, kind of like six prayer points um, that we're told is a sort of model prayer that we should have. So the first three that we'll be doing tonight are mainly about God. So it's from us directed towards God. And the number four, five and six, which we'll see next week, is more directed towards the people around us. So kind of horizontally talking about how we should be relating to those people and dealing with those relationships. But as we look at those first three prayer points tonight, we want to see how they apply to us and how they should shape our prayers. But something even kind of bigger and more powerful than that, it's not just that this should shape the way in which we communicate with God, but this Prayer that we see here should really shape and influence and mould the way in which we see the world, the way in which we see ourselves and the way in which we see God and life, the universe 
and everything. So this prayer should really transform us and touch a lot of areas of our lives as we'll see tonight. So in verses 5 to 8, Jesus has given us a few pointers on what to do and what not to do when we pray. He's kind of got those ground rules set out and then now he goes on to say, this is how you should pray. So at this time there's heaps of anticipation in what he's about to say. Everyone's listening, everyone who's there anyway. And now this is probably one of the most recognisable pieces of scripture in the whole Bible. It's probably right up there amongst with John 3.16 as one of those ones that a lot of people could say off the tops of their head. And for a lot of churches and a lot of denominations, this is a real central part of their worship to, to pray the Lord's Prayer together. But in, in most Baptist churches, as I've been in for all the time while I've been a Christian, usually it's a case of someone will stand at the front and lead the prayer and kind of use their own words. And um, I think there's a lot of power in that, um, but it's quite a difference in just the way of approaching things. So anyway, I was reading through Don Carson's commentary. He's a really highly respected biblical commentator. And he says, with this prayer, as, as is one of the most repeated prayers in the history of the church, and he says that as far back as the second century after Jesus, so that's like around 150 AD, so that's what, 1850 years ago, even back then, there was a docu- document called the Didache, and it said that Christians, this is if you're going to be a Christian, you should repeat this prayer three times every day. Kind of like if you do that, then you'll be all cool and everything should work out nicely for you. Now, the important thing to realise with this prayer, as Don Carson says in his commentary, is that Jesus was not saying that we should pray these exact words. But what he is doing is giving us a model for prayer. So our prayers that we come up with should be roughly and broadly following this format. And he points out in verse 9 that Jesus does not say, this is what you should pray. But what he does say is this is how you should pray. So when you're praying, don't feel you have to stick rigidly to this prayer. You can use your own words. And that's usually a good thing, I've always found, because it causes you to really think about what you're praying and it causes your prayer to come from your heart and really to be a genuine, sincere prayer of what you're praying to God at that time. So as we look at this model for how we should pray, a key point is that it's a good idea to start our prayers by acknowledging who God is. And after you do that, then you take some time to praise him. It's a good way to start. Now, in Australian society these days, we're sometimes not very good at showing respect for important people. Would you agree? Yeah, I reckon so. I think a few months ago, the Governor-General of Australia came to the Albury-Wodonga region. Do you remember that? Does anyone not remember that? Hand up if you don't remember that. Yeah, that's like the most important person apparently in Australia and um, yeah, a lot of us didn't even know about it. I certainly wasn't lining up to go out there and see her. Does everyone know it's a female now, the Governor-General of Australia? Who doesn't know? Yeah, a few people there. <laughs> All right. So in Australian society, we don't often do this whole honouring important people very well. The thing of the movie Gladiator, has everyone seen Gladiator? I love that movie. It was a good one. Anyway, in, back in those days you know, the Russell Crowe's acting it out and all that. But in those times, as you see in the movie, like a couple of thousand years ago, it was a crime, one of the biggest crimes imaginable to turn your back to the king or to the emperor. And if you did that, so if you just, even if you did it by mistake and you just kind of, you know, subtly didn't pay them the respect that they deserved, then you'd be punished with death for doing that. 
Um, out of the army, um, it's a totally different culture there to what we see otherwise, but whenever you see someone who's an officer or someone of a higher rank coming towards you, you've got to stand to attention or brace up and salute them and say, good, mo- good morning, sir, or good morning, ma'am. And um, it's one of those things, as you come into the army, as I did about a year ago, it takes a bit of time to really get used to that. But that's the culture and that's the way it, belong- that's the way it is. And um, it just shows how, how different that is to um, Australian society. I think for us, when, if someone famous is around, we're not so much worried if they're important, but we're more worried about are they an interesting person or are they good looking? Think of one of the people... Well, who's one of the people over the last few months who's created one of the biggest stirs when she came to Australia? Who was that? Paris Hilton, hey. And is she important? I wouldn't say so, but she's good looking and she's interesting because she always does silly things. She created a big stir and she got a lot more attention than a lot of far more important people would have gotten. Anyway, all goes to say that when we speak to God, it's really important that we acknowledge him as our Lord. When When we pray, when we come before him, it's good to start by praising him and really showing some respect and appreciation for who he is. And it's a good thing to start our prayers by praying for something that he wants before we get onto our own needs. Sometimes, you know, we pray and we just kind of say, hi, God, um, God, I need this and I need that and please may this work out okay and please may that happen. And we kind of pounce straight on to what we need and what we want rather than praying for something he wants. But when we speak to God, it's good to remember that he's not just some dude that you know, he's not just your parent, he's not just even your conscience or something inside of you, but God is almighty. He's the one who's created you. If it wasn't for him, you would never have seen one day on this planet. Not only that, but he's created the whole world, the whole universe, and he keeps us alive from day to day, and he keeps the universe going. So God is mighty and powerful and important and just amazing. So even if you're someone who doesn't show respect for anybody else at all in your life, you can elbow the person next to you if they're that sort of person, if they don't show respect for anybody at all, even if you're that person, you ought to show respect for God because he is like infinitely more important and more respectable than anybody else we've ever met. Now, as we look at Jesus' words here in verse 9, we notice that he does not start by saying, my Father in heaven. Instead, he prays, our Father in heaven. And I don't think that was just an accident or something that just happened, but Jesus intentionally said that, our Father in heaven. You know, in our world that we live in, it can be a very individual world, can't it? It's amazing how it's kind of like every man and woman for themselves We try to build our own kingdoms, fight for our own rights and look after ourselves so often. But here when Jesus says we should pray, Our Father in heaven, it just reminds us that life is not some battle that you fight on your own. Life's not about trying to get through and do your best by yourself. But it is God's plan for our lives that we would live with a strong sense of community, with friendship and love and care for one another. And as we do that, as we face life together and as we worship God together, we just realise that's how God planned for it to be. Um, It's just incredible to see how good it is when you are in the context of loving, caring relationships. God's always wanted it to be that way. And for the people 
in this world who try to live life on their own, you end up in a mess when you do that. And it's a very sad thing. There was a guy I was talking to during this week and um, this guy, by his own admission, has told me how he's been trying to do life on his own for the last 20, 25 years or so. He's shut out from his life just about everybody around him. He's married but kind of just in his own little world and um, he's shut people out, tried to prove himself, not cared about other people and actually really shut God out of his life altogether as well. And this is by, in his own words, he said that, not just my observation. And he's someone who hasn't opened up to people or cared about people very much at all. It's like he just hasn't had room in his heart for people and he hasn't seen the need for people or for God. It's a very sad story and it's been sad just to see that in the time I've known him. But something really powerful has hit him and really something which has been very helpful, I think, for his life overall. In the last, probably a build-up over the last couple of months, the loneliness and the isolation has just hit this guy. Um, he's, he's sensed that loneliness from people and from God. Um, he's had a bit of a health scare for his wife. Um, that's turned out to be okay now. Um, and he's had a problem or two at work as well. And because of that, that's really driven him to ask the big questions about life all over again. And I'm glad to say the story's got a happy ending. Over the last week particularly, this guy has just completely changed. He's opened up his heart, spoken about his feelings. He's smiled again, which he hasn't done for a long time. And he's decided to come back to God. He's a guy who grew up in the church, but then once he was about 17 or 18, he moved away from home and he just left that all behind and went out and lived a different lifestyle. So this guy's decided to come back to to church and his wife has decided to come to church for the first time. Not this church, but another one in town. And this couple together have decided to commit to being in a new Christians group and to really understand what it means to be a Christian and just to go with it. Such an exciting thing to see, just this story of someone opening up their heart to people and to God. And as he does, he's done that, even you can just see in the last four or five days, so many things have changed and have gotten into the right spot for him. And it just goes to show something that I see quite a bit in my role out at the Army as a chaplain, that when you live for yourself... And when you live in isolation from others and when you turn your back on God, your life ends up in a very deep mess and a very sad mess. But when you commit to seeking God and to living life in a community of God's people, things start looking up. Things don't all go perfectly, but things start to get a bit better from there. So praise God. It's good just to see that one there and reminds me about this point of the importance of community that Jesus is saying here as he prays, our Father in heaven, not my Father in heaven. So here in Jesus' prayers, it's not about me and mine and what I want and what I deserve, but it's about us and it's about ours. So it's not my Father in heaven, but it's our Father in heaven. It's not my daily bread, but it's give us our daily bread. And it's not deliver me from evil, but it's deliver us from evil. And it just reminds you that if you ever do try to do life on your own or try to live life as a Christian on your own without the help of God's people, it just won't work. So remember our life, our faith, our relationship with God, it's a team thing, it's a team sport, it's not an individual thing. So do it with a team of people around you, encouraging you in all that. And as Jesus prays and he speaks with God as his Father, 
we see from that that we can speak to God in a really intimate way. So God is near. His spirit is within us. God is with us every step of the way. Now back in the time of Jesus and when he was speaking to these people, mainly the Jews, they thought of God a lot and they thought of God as a very big and powerful God. God was kind of out there and they would say that God was almighty over all and above all. And they would tend to address God when they would pray as sovereign Lord or as king of the universe, so really grand sort of titles for God. Now those titles are really accurate for God and a fine way to speak with him. But in thinking of God in that way as the big, wonderful God who's out there and all-powerful, if that's the only way you think of God, then you're really missing half of the story. Because God is big and wonderful and powerful and everything, but he is also very personal and very close to us. He knows our every thought. He cares for every person on this whole planet. He's not just overall, but he's in us as well. So God is incredibly powerful yet also incredibly close and intimate. And you see that here in verse 9, as Jesus says we can pray, our Father in heaven. Our Father. He's not just some famous guy out there, but he's our Father. It just makes me think of how it's like, can you imagine having someone that you know who is really famous, but you actually know them really well as well? Has anyone ever had that? Like really known someone who's famous? Awesome. Who was it? Wow, okay, that's pretty cool. Yeah, did you know her personally or were you just like at the same school as her? Uh, she's a sister of one of the ones that I was Great, excellent, that's good, yeah. I know for me, um, anyone who's really famous is not someone who I've really known. Um, I can say, you know, Ian Thorpe, that guy from a couple of years ago was an awesome swimmer, I can say I've swum in the pool at the same time as him. That was a great experience. In fact, in the lane next to him, that was great. Um, once I was in a restaurant and Glenn McGrath walked in. I thought, oh, awesome, there he is. And that was just an incredible moment. But that's about as close as I've come to fame. So generally you'd say, oh, I can't really say that I know anybody who is famous. And I don't think that anybody who's famous actually knows who I am. But now you get this thing, it's amazing here with God. God is obviously very, very famous, incredibly famous. So you'd not really expect to know him and you'd not expect to be able to think of him as being a best friend. Even more to the point, not as you wouldn't expect to know him, but you would never expect that the God, the famous God, the almighty God, might know you, might know what you're thinking, what you're doing. The fact that God would even know what you look like is a wonderful thing. But this is the most incredible thing about our relationship with God, that the God who created the entire world and the God who runs the entire universe to this day is not just way off in some distant place, but this incredible God is so close to us. He loves us so tenderly and so intimately. He's with us in our darkest moments and also in our happy times, and he knows us from the inside out. And this wonderful, powerful and almighty God doesn't just want us to call him Almighty God, Sovereign King, but he wants us to call him Father. Is that amazing? That is just absolutely awesome. That we can come to know him in an intimate way. He knows us and we know him. So in the time of Jesus, the Jews understood all about how great and wonderful God was, but they didn't think he could ever be close. They didn't think that Jesus could walk amongst them 
and they couldn't imagine that the Holy Spirit could be with someone, so they missed a lot of the picture. Not so for us, because we've followed Jesus' words here as he leads us in that example of saying that when we pray to God, we can come to him and we can say, Our Father. So we hold this in balance, the fact that God is so close to us, so intimate with us, but we can call him Father. And when we do, he knows our name and he knows our inmost thoughts. And in verse 9, we come to the first of the three prayer requests that we see in this passage. And the first one is, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Now, for me, hallowed is not a word that we use too much these days. Um, So I looked up kind of what are words with a similar meaning. Um, And the words that come out are things like sacred or holy or blessed or revered or consecrated. So it's like we're praying here, God, holy is your name. God, blessed be your name. God, may your name be held in high regard and regarded as sacred. So it's like we're saying that we want people, including ourselves, to know how special God is when we pray, God, hallowed be your name. If you want to use a completely different word instead of hallowed, that's quite fine. Now, the times when I've heard of the word hallowed used, usually refer to like sports grounds. It's like the hallowed grass of Wimbledon where they play the tennis or the hallowed turf of Wembley Stadium, or even Augusta National Golf Course where they play the US Masters over in America. But you kind of get that idea, it's a, the, the phrase hallowed is associated with something that is a really special place. For us as Victorians, we might say the MCG, the hallowed turf of the MCG, especially in the Boxing Day Test match. It's got that incredible kind of feel to it and almost kind of feels a bit sacred when you're there. Um, I was there a couple of months ago, there was just a little Sheffield Shield match on and um, it was just amazing just to look in and to see the grandstands and the grass and everything and it kind of looked sacred or special in some sort of way. Obviously nothing compared to how special God is. But you get that idea when they say, God, hallowed be your name. It's saying, God, your name is so special. So we're asking that God's glory and his majesty would be clearly seen, clearly evident and clearly recognised in the world. When we say, God, hallowed be your name, we're asking that we ourselves would have a really fresh appreciation of how great, of how special God is. And we're asking that other people around us would see God's glory as well. So that should happen as we worship God here on Sundays and also should happen when we meet together and praise God, whether it's been Bible study or fellowship or youth group or whatever it might be. God will often, when God wants to glorify his name, he'll often use people like us who know him to glorify his name. So it's so important for us, whatever we're doing, not just on Sundays or not just here or not just when particular people are watching, but whatever we do, we need to make sure that we live our lives in a way that brings glory to God. And when that happens, it's so powerful to see God's name being glorified and people seeing how holy he is. Moving on to the second prayer point that we see here in this um, couple of verses we're looking at. We see this request, God, your kingdom come. God, your kingdom come. So this means praying, obviously, that God's kingdom will come. Remember, this is an example type of prayer. So Jesus is not saying you need to go out every morning and say, God, may your kingdom come today. We don't need to go and say that over and over again. But he is saying that when we pray, 
we should be praying for things that involve the coming of God's kingdom. So what would be a real sign of the coming of God's kingdom? What would be something you'd see happening when God's kingdom is coming? I would say it's all about when you see God's will done, God's will done here on earth, when people obey God and live for him. So times like when you see people hearing the good news of Jesus Christ died for their sins so they can be forgiven. That is when, when, when that happens, God's kingdom is coming. When people get looked after and cared for, when weak people get cared for and supported, that is when God's kingdom comes. When people forgive each other, when people say sorry, when marriages are restored, when people who are sad or upset, upset are comforted, when people worship God, that is when God's kingdom comes. And when someone, even just one person, realises how much God loves them. And when people include each other rather than excluding each other. That's what it's all about when God's kingdom comes here on earth. So if you want to pray this sort of stuff of God's kingdom come, pray that type of stuff and seeing that type of stuff happen. Now as Christians, we're not living for this world, are we? But we are told we are to fix our eyes on the world that is to come. Heaven is not all that far away and when we are there, we see the way that God wants his kingdom to be. In Revelation 21, just the second last chapter of the Bible and in that whole few chapters there, you see some really vivid pictures of what heaven will be like. Particularly there you see this, this, phrase, this quote, Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. So we see that when God's kingdom comes, God will be clearly visible amongst us. We'll be able to worship him so intimately and he will take away any pain that we may have and any sadness. And he goes on in Revelation 21 to say, To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. So we see this incredible picture of God's kingdom coming. And it's a picture that is so much more wonderful than we can ever imagine. Now, if you're like me, you've probably had a time or many times in your life where you've tried to picture what heaven is going to be like. It's pretty hard to do. But it's really good just to read as we do in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. So anything we've seen, God's kingdom coming is so much better than that. Anything we've heard or anything we've even thought of or imagined of what heaven is going to be like, it is going to be infinitely better than that. It's a good place and we'll be completely looked after. And that's what happens when God's kingdom comes here on earth. We get looked after. Doesn't always come in the way we want, doesn't always come immediately, but we will be looked after in the long term. So Jesus here in Matthew 6 is saying we should pray that God's kingdom will come. So that means in some small ways we're going to pray that God will start to show us glimpses of heaven here on earth. It's beautiful. It's a wonderful thing. For me, I imagine seeing glimpses of heaven on earth is stuff like seeing sad people comforted, seeing lonely people finding friendship, 
seeing people worship God, seeing the good news of forgiveness of sins proclaimed and people being forgiven. Beautiful, incredible stuff. And we all want that, don't we? It's just such an amazing thing to see and it's what life is all about. It's what the best moments of life are. We all want to see God's kingdom come and the good things of heaven coming here on earth, being seen and felt here on this planet. But I think there's a a really kind of sober reason why we don't see it happen a bit more than what we do. And that reason is because we don't pray for it enough. The sense of God, your kingdom come here on earth, in me and around me. But we tend to pray things like, God, please help me to get a better job. God, please help me to save more money, have more friends, get that car that I want. Help me to have less stress. Help me to be happier. And in our prayers, and myself included in this, we often pray more for ourselves than we do for other people. And we often pray more about the building of our own little kingdoms rather than praying for God's kingdom. We pray for things we want rather than the things that God wants. Is that the case for you? I know it's often the case for me, sad to say. We often get so caught up on our own needs that we forget about God's needs. But if we want to see God's wonderful kingdom come here on earth, then we need to put aside our own desires, our own thoughts and our own wish lists. And we need to pray for God's kingdom to come. We need to pray that he would be glorified. And when Christians do that, it's such an exciting thing. When Christians pray for God's kingdom to come here on earth, those prayers are answered with an enormous yes. And when we as God's people ask that his kingdom will come, God changes us. God touches our lives. And he brings about his kingdom inside of us and around us. Not only that, but he uses us to bring about his kingdom in the world around us. Such an exciting thought. And it would happen so much more if we could only bring ourselves to pray, God, your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. So prayer should be about praying for God's will to be done rather than our own selfish will. As we read there, we're praying for God's will to happen here on earth. And when we pray this, when we ask for this stuff to happen, it's not just that God's going to be happier or more satisfied in the end, but that we are actually going to end up happier as well. When God's kingdom comes and when God's will is done here on earth and in our lives and around us, then people get looked after. You end up enjoying life a whole lot more and you end up having a fullness of life that only God can bring and only living for him can bring. When you ask for God's will to be done in your life, things don't always go exactly the way you want them to go. But in one way or another, God works through your life and your circumstances. And as he does that, he meets your needs. He might not meet all all your wants and all your desires, but he'll meet your needs. He brings us a sense of life and fullness. And he changes us to be someone who gives rather than someone who takes. And he changes us us to be grateful rather than resentful. That's what happens when we pray for God's will to be done. Here on earth, around us, but in our lives. May God's will be done and may God's kingdom come. You know, in life, it's just important, as we reflect on this prayer and as we come towards the end of our time tonight, it's really important just to reflect upon it and, and to think about the way in which it's so much easier for us to pray 
God, please give me this. And God, please make my life a bit easier or a bit happier. It's so easy to pray that sort of stuff and we so often slip into doing that. And I think it is because at the core of our beings, we're all fairly selfish and we're very aware of our own needs. But on the other hand, it takes a whole lot of faith and trust and courage to pray, God, may your kingdom come and God, may your will be done. Not my kingdom, not my will, but your kingdom and your will. A lot of people in this world only pray when they are absolutely desperate. They'll come to God in desperation and ask God to give them something or to heal them or to make their life a bit easier or to change something for them. But when you have a relationship with God, it should be completely different. So you don't just pray when you need something or when you want something, but you pray regularly in the context of this beautiful relationship we have with God. You pray that his kingdom will come and you pray that his he will be glorified and you pray that God's will will be done not your own will but that God's will will be done in your life in the lives of the people around you and in the world as a whole as well and as we look forward to next Sunday night and we see the second half of the Lord's Prayer we see the other kinds of things that we should be praying for as well so that's what Jesus is saying to us it's fairly clear those three things he's saying we should be praying God's kingdom come God's will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And God, hallowed be your name. So the question for us now is, now that we know that, and now we could probably repeat those three things, are we going to go out and do it? And how are our prayers going to be this week? Are your prayers going to be any different at all? And are your prayers going to be about your kingdom or about God's kingdom? But you can rest assured, if you can take that step of faith, a bit of trust and a bit of courage, to pray that God's kingdom will come and God's will will be done in your life and around you, then it will happen. And that will be an amazing thing to see and to be able to tell people about. And it will really lift you in your faith as well. So take a step of faith and pray for God's kingdom to come in your world. In your world. Let's pray right now. Dear Father, we just want to thank you for your, your greatness and your majesty. You are such an almighty and powerful God. And Lord, while you are so wonderful and powerful, we thank you that you also are so close and even in us by your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you know us so intimately, that you care for us every step of the way. You know what's going on for us. And Lord, if we look at this prayer and this model prayer that Jesus has given us, help us to have the courage to come to you intimately and regularly, to ask that your kingdom will come, that your name will be hallowed, that you'll be glorified, and that your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to want that more than any of our own desires in our lives. And Lord, help us to encourage each other in wanting those things too. And Lord, we just look forward to the miracles, the wonderful things you do in and around our lives as we pray those things. May it be a great encouragement to us and the people around us too. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.